0: From here until about Thanksgiving, we're going to be looking at the church. And one of the reasons why I wanted to take a look at the church, I've done some research and I talked about the church several years ago. Now I'm going to get my numbers mixed up either 15 or 12. I think it was 15. So it's been a while since we've taken a look at these, these themes and these ideas. But with uh, with the shutdowns of 2020 and coming back together in September of 20 and, you know, adopting online worship and streaming. uh, The question comes up quite a bit, what does the church look like today? And and what constitutes the church? And and how are we going to be a church in this uh, increasingly digital age? Not us specifically necessarily in those questions. I don't think we've sat around and talked about that in our ministry conferences. But those are questions that the church at large is asking and so we're going to take a look at what exactly do we mean by the church and we're going to look at what is the mission and the the purpose of the church and how do we go about fulfilling those and partnering in it but today we're going to look at that question of what is a church what is the church and and most specifically we're looking at christ's church and so we're, to, to do this, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 16. And, and uh, in, in Matthew 16, Jesus asks his disciples uh, a, a question about who he is. Who do the people say I am and who do you say I am? And within the, the answer and then the conversation that follows Jesus' response, we're going we're gonna to see what he says about the church. So if you're there with me in Matthew 16, we're going to begin in 13 and go all the way through to 20. Matthew begins in verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He was asking His disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah, or or son of Jonah, because flesh and blood, or, or mankind, humans, did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Just by way of a rabbit trail real quick, I will give you the keys. If you notice that titles picture that we had up there at the very beginning, uh, one of the features that you see in a lot of artwork is Peter. You can always know about Peter because he will be having keys in his hand. Here you have a a picture where Jesus is handing him literally keys. And this is a depiction of this passage. Now, Jesus didn't have the the city keys, you know, and he didn't hand the keys to the city to to Peter. This is imagery to communicate this statement. And so if you ever see, you know, icons or pictures of, of the disciples, you'll always be able to recognize Peter because he will always have keys somewhere on his person. Just like oftentimes Paul will always have a sword nearby or in a background because he was beheaded. And so these are little clues that the artist would give us to know who was, in, who, who, was who in the pictures. So anyway, digression over. Uh, I will give you, in verse 19, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven... And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. This is the first time in the Gospel of Matthew of of three times. And Jesus doesn't really in the Gospels, he doesn't talk about the church very often. He, He talks about following him, he talks about his people, he talks about his sheep he doesn't talk about the church very often. But in Matthew, there are three times, and this is the first time he introduces the idea of the church when he says to them, uh, I will build my church. This is, this is the rock upon which I will build my church. Now, what do we mean by this word church? The, the, the word that's being translated that Jesus has used for church here, and then also in Matthew 18 when he's talking about church discipline, the Greek word is a word called ekklesia, ekklesia, and it's a compound word made up of a preposition, ek, which means out of, out from, or out to, and kaleo, which is a verb meaning to call, so the word that we're translating here as church is a word that means a group of people who are called out from and to. So, for instance, in the book of Acts, um, chapter nineteen, when when Paul's in Ephesus and uh, his ministry is so strong and so powerful that the silversmiths are seeing a hit in their bottom line, Demetrius the silversmith gets the, all the other silversmiths uh, together and he says, "Look." We have got to do something about this way. And they end up creating a mob that meets in the city and is ready to tear the Christians apart until one man who who is able to speak to them, who has the position of authority in that community, stands up and says, look, this is an unlawful assembly. Ecclesia. And they talk to, and he says... You know We need to go home before we get in trouble with the Romans. And we need to bring these matters up in the proper, the legal assembly. Ecclesia. Now the writer of Acts, Luke, used the exact same word that Matthew has used here that Jesus is using about what we have just, uh, translated as the church. But the word... Church, it's not like you know. There are certain words like Christ, you know, it's Christos, and, and uh, Amen, Amen. We we don't even you know it's the, exactly the same word in the Greek. We just took it and made it ours. Church as a as a word is nowhere in the Bible. What we're talking about when we talk about a church is a, an assembly of people who are called out for a purpose and called to a purpose. So when we talk about the church, and when Jesus is talking about the church, and and specifically here, because what does He say? I will build My church. I will build My assembly of people. So when we talk about the church, what we are really saying is that the church is an assembly of people belonging to the Lord. That the church is an assembly, a gathering of people who belong to the Lord. To the Lord. So when we when we talk about this building and this property, and we say oh, I'm going to church or I'm going up to the church, you know, if you if you we're coming up here to do some work or to get ready for an activity, you know, I'm going to the church. Everybody knows what we're talking about. We're talking about the building, and, and it has that name because this is where the church meets. But it's just a building. You know, it, it doesn't. It's not the church. The church is an assembly of people. Specifically, people called out and called to, to do something together. It can be an assembly in Greek was oftentimes, a, you know that was when they got together and, and talked about things and did their laws and things like that. Uh, the Baptist General Convention of Texas is going to have an assembly in November where they all gather together and they're going to have a convention and they're going to meet and they're going to talk. The people who go to that thing are called messengers. They represent all the different churches in Texas. They are specific people called out to a specific assembly. They talk about things that matter to them. They don't worry about the Episcopalians. They don't worry about the Methodists. They talk about Baptist issues and specifically the general Baptist, uh, the Baptist General Convention of Texas issues. And so when we're talking about an assembly or church, that's what we're talking about in this, And, and so there are, there are many levels to the church. There, there's uh, what we, we call the universal church. That would be everybody that belongs to the Lord throughout history. You know, so we are a member of the church if you believe in Jesus Christ. You're a member of the church just like Peter was a member of the church. Just like the believers in England in the 1100s were members of the church. Just like the people who are in China today are members of the church. There's a church large, but then there is also smaller groupings. We're one of those. You know, we are a church, not the church, but a church. Now, we, amongst ourselves, we might talk about the church. But you notice I'm always kind of tripping over the church, and then I try to explain not us necessarily, but the whole church in America. And so we see that, and one of the best ways I can think of how to illustrate this idea is uh, I grew up as a military brat, which my dad was in the Air Force, and we traveled around three years, we moved. I have cousins that were uh, military brats, their dad was in the Army. They only stayed in the United States, but, but my family, we were overseas for nine years, you know, different times. And one of those times that I was overseas, we were at an airbase in England called Croughton. And there was a guy on that airbase, and he and I shared a locker in 8th grade, and we went to the same church there on Croughton Air Force Base, and we went to scouts together, and we were friends. Two years later, in 10th grade, at the beginning of 10th grade, I found out that he was at Ramstein Air Base, which is in Germany. I had happened to be in Simbach Air Base, which is also in Germany. In fact, they're really close to each other. But here's the thing, the people from Simbach, they don't go to Ramstein for high school. They go to a place called Vogelway, where there's a school called Kaiserslautern, you know, K-Town. And K-Town and Ramstein are rivals, because they're right next to each other. And so even though he and I, we had shared a locker in 8th grade, by 10th grade, we were completely separated from one another. I think I got together with him for a weekend once. We hung out around his house, and that was about it. Because we had moved apart, and my experience was K-Town, and his experience was Ramstein. Now, we were still brats. We were still Air Force brats. But we were members of two different schools, two different environments, two different worlds. But we still had some kinship in the fact that we're both overseas as opposed to those that never got to go overseas and we still had kinship in the fact that we were both military brats compared to all the people in the world who aren't military brats who don't have that experience of growing up that way and in a similar way the church operates that way there you know we're we're all members of the world but then we're believers in Jesus Christ and that's kind of like becoming the military brat but within that, we all have different experiences. Some people are Episcopalian, some people are Presbyterian, some people are Catholic, some people are Orthodox, uh, some people are Baptist. And all of our little experiences like that, they're still part of the larger church, but we can kind of feel some territorialness, can't we? You know, oh, you're, you're from Ramstein, I don't hang out with you anymore. Even though at one point we shared a locker. Oh no, we don't hang out together anymore. Wrong airbase. And so we can have those kind of feelings too where we, we develop into certain faith traditions and we have more and more just interactions with our own kind than everybody else out there. Now, I, we have friends that go to a lot of different churches. We're friends with them, but I don't consider ourselves to be of the same church. You know, they, they go to that church and that church over there and this is the church I go to. I consider them all members of the body of Christ and the church universal yes but i would never think just because for instance i watched some of their services or a sermon online that i was part of that church no i'm just somebody who's watching a sermon online i'm not a part of that church just because i do that but we are all part of the larger church now when i was home and not able to come here i watched us and i felt i'm I'm joining with my church but when I watch another church's service, I don't have that same feeling. So there's, there is a difference, the church you're with and the churches that are out there. Now, what do we mean by this? Now, I, I mentioned that the word church is not in the Bible. So, how did we get this word? Uh, church for us is actually a, an Anglicanized, a, you know, an English version of either a Dutch or German word. The German word is. I'll see if I can pronounce this properly. Kerk. Kierik. Uh, the Dutch is kerk. And it sounds a little bit more like church, or, you know, the way they, they say it. But kerk. And, and the German word came from the Greek word kuriakon. Kuriakon. Okay? And this word kuriakon means belonging to the Lord. It's based off of the Greek word kurios, which means Lord. So kuriakon means belonging to the Lord. And so you can kind of understand how, how the word church developed. It was, it was the assembly, those gathered together who belonged to the Lord. And then it transposed over to German. And then we took that over to English. And that's how we got the word church that we use today to specifically talk about a group of people who gather together who belong to the Lord. You know, uh, an assembly that, you know, they they talk about, for instance, the, the church of Satan. No such thing. There can be an assembly in a religious gathering of people. You know, you don't talk about a gathering of Muslims as a church. That's a mosque. A church specifically is those who belong to the Lord, who assemble together and belong to the Lord. So much like you know, how they say just because you're in a garage doesn't make you a car and just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. Well, truly, if, if you go to a church and you don't belong to the Lord, technically you're not part of the church. You know? You become a member of the church, a part of the church, through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus talks about and po- points out in verse 16. Uh, what was it that, G- that Simon said? Simon answered uh, you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. And, and so, and, and that's what Jesus responds to and says, "Blessed are you. Man hasn't sh- shown you this, Simon. This came from my heavenly Father. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church. That, not not necessarily just Peter, but." this statement, this action, this is what unites us as believers is a faith in Jesus Christ. The church is composed of those who confess Jesus as the Christ. That's what makes us a part of the church. Our confession of faith, our belief in Him, our focus in following Him. That, that's what separates the church from the rest of the world and from all other assemblies and other religious gatherings. That we confess Jesus. And and to confess is is not just to to acknowledge or proclaim. It's to stake your life on. This is is the truth in my life. This This is the truth I live out. That Jesus is Lord. That He is the Christ. The Son of God. In that statement, Simon was claiming, A, you're the Messiah, and B, you are the Son of God. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the one who's come to save us. And you're not just a man, you're God himself. Which, as we've seen on Wednesday nights as we're going through the Gospel of John, Jesus' claim to, to kinship to be the son of the Father in heaven is what really ticked the, uh, the Jewish leaders off because he started, they, they claimed that statement to be blasphemy, that he was claiming to be God. So when Peter says it, he is proclaiming Jesus as Lord, as God, as the Christ. So the church is an assembly of people belonging to the Lord who have professed and, and uh, confessed Jesus as Lord, as Christ. That, that is the church universal. So uh, when we run up against somebody and they have a different view about certain things, you know, they have a different view of baptism. You know, that might make it hard to worship together but do they profess Jesus as the Christ? Do they follow him? Do they live for him? They're a part of the church. We might not be able to gather together with them in worship for one reason or another, but they're part of the church, and we can still work with them and, and love them as members of the church, and hopefully they'll love us too. Uh, they won't be too upset that we got it right and they got it wrong. That was a joke, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just sliding that one in there, just, just for fun. But this is the thing here is is Jesus' church. It's it's Christ's church. Notice what he says to to Simon. He says to him uh, in verse 18, I also say to you, after he'd said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjana, uh, flesh and blood did not reveal this, but my Father who is in heaven, I also say to you that you are Peter. Now, what did Simon say? You You are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is now returning the favor. Simon has testified to who Jesus is. Jesus is now testifying to Simon. You are, I say to you, you are Peter. Now we've already seen Simon Peter. Peter has been part of his name since the beginning. So it's not like Jesus is giving him a new name uh, in this instance, in this writing of Matthew. But what he's saying is that you are Peter, and Peter is a word that means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, some people have taken that and said, oh, look, you know, Peter is the leader of the church and and, and continually, I'm going to mispronounce that word. I'm going to just mess it up, so I'm not going to try. Uh, He's going to be it. And if he's not here to do it, then whoever fills his position is going to do it. And what happened is, is that Peter ended his days in Rome and so Rome has claimed that Peter was the bishop of Rome, and so therefore the bishop of Rome continues in Peter's position. And so whoever the bishop of Rome is, is the head of the church, and that's why you've got a guy called the Pope. The early Christians had no idea of this. For hundreds of years they had no idea of this. What happened was is you had three different areas in the, in the world uh, that were all vying for power, and Western Europe won and that's why they got the Pope. And then Eastern Orthodox cut off, and that was not what Jesus was saying. Much like when when John and James come to Jesus and say, grant us that one of us sits at your right, one at your left, and Jesus says, I can't grant you that, that's not mine to give. But you will die. You will drink the cup I'm going to drink. I grant you that. I can grant you to drink the cup I'm going to drink, but to sit at my right hand, to sit at my left hand, I can't. That's, that's my Father in Heaven. When he says, you, uh, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, I, I firmly believe that he is talking about Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, who was it that stood up and spoke? Who was it that, that, that was the leader of the disciples and the church in that time? It was Peter. But in the Ephesians, Paul talks about all the apostles as being the foundation upon which the church, we, the body, are being built on, with Christ as the cornerstone. In Revelation, uh, the new Jerusalem that comes out of heaven, John describes it as having 12 foundation stones, and on those foundation stones are the names of the apostles. So so it's, it's reasonable to say, yes, the apostles were the foundation that Jesus is building his church on, That doesn't mean that just because they were the beginning that they are, you know, whoever is filling their job role is is in continuation. And and what happens is, is because of bad exegesis on the Catholic side, then the Protestants come in and say, we're going to ignore that Jesus said, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, and we're going to call that rock something different. That's not good. He was talking about Peter. Peter, you're the rock. And on this rock, I'm going to build my, I'm going to start it. You're you're going to be blessed to work with me and to have me work through you because of this confession of faith. Because you've stepped forward and done this, you're going to get a blessing. You're going to be the one I started with. I'm going to build my church on this rock. And then he says, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And gates are a picture of strength. Gates are where legal matters were taken care of in communities. You know, you would go and and get the elders at the gates. That's why when they talk about to give justice and the gates, justice at the gates, it's talking about legal matters and, and making sure that things are done righteously in government and in the court of law that you have. The gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overpower it. Jesus control. And we don't have to fear what's going to happen. It's his church. I will build my church. And, and just in that small little phrase, I will build my church. Jesus is the one doing it. He's the one building. And it's his church, his assembly of people who believe in him. And, and, and when he does, there is no way that it, the victory will go to hell. There is no way that it will overpower and overcome. Now, that doesn't mean that the church doesn't struggle. And that doesn't mean that similar, smaller groupings of churches do not uh, find their end. Churches close. We've seen in the, in the United States over the years churches close. I don't know the exact numbers of how many churches are closing every year. It, it seems to be growing. In Europe, we saw in the 20th, in, in the 20th century... Uh, the church took a big hit. Now here in the twenty-first century, we're starting to take that hit in America. But in South America, the church is on fire. In Africa, the church is on fire. In Iran, the church is growing and is on fire. So the church is still victorious. We may in our own individual experiences not see the the victoriousness of the church, but it's still there. The church is, is growing. The, thing, the, the main thing I think about this when I think about Jesus talking about His church and, and that this is the people that He has called out for His purposes to serve Him. And this is you and me. This is us together. I'm, by myself, I am not the church. By yourself, you are not the church. You're a believer. You can be a believer and you can be a follower of Jesus. I, we had neighbors and they never went to church. They were just following Jesus on their own. And some people think that's an okay way of doing things. I don't need the church. Oh, the church is full of hypocrites. Oh, the church has got this problem. It's got that problem. And we want to separate ourselves from the problem, so we separate ourselves from the church, and we think, I can worship God anywhere. I can worship God outside. I can worship God in my house. I can worship God wherever I please. And that's true. You can worship God. But I've also never met a person that wasn't in church that also wasn't kind of... Forgive me, a crackpot and some of their ideas. Because I uh, let me let me clue you all in: you're all crackpots, and so am I. We all have crazy ideas when it comes to Jesus and when it comes to faith and when it comes to the Bible. And what happens is, is you open up your mouth and you say one of your crazy ideas, and somebody else there says. That's a crazy idea. Let me show you why in Scripture that you're wrong. Hopefully they do a little bit nicer than that, but this is just the cliff notes. And because of that, we grow. And because of that, we don't go growing off on our strange shoot of a crazy idea. We stay with the body. We stay with the vine. We don't go our own way. I think we have a very individualistic attitude in America and, and you know, the whole idea about being a grafted end of the vine and that I'm just a branch and I have to hold on to the vine even though we're talking about Jesus, that kind of grates us sometimes. You can be a believer on your own, but you're not a church on your own. And Jesus, he isn't really working through believers. He's working through the church. It was the church was his idea. Yeah, to to call people and to have them follow him, yes. And yeah, we experience him working in us, but what I'm getting at is is that Jesus' plan is not to work on with just you, but with us. That's how he does things. And for us to decide, I don't want and that's why we have so much body uh, imagery in the the epistles, you know, and, and talking about the the flock as Jesus talks about it in the fold. It's not individuals, it's the church. That's what he's building, is the church. And here's the thing is, it's his church. And, and what I see in that is that the church is important to Jesus. It, 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 that's his plan. That's his only plan. In fact, he left with 11 guys. lost one. 11 guys and about 110 extra that were hanging around with them. And they were saying, hey, Jesus, are you going to set up your kingdom? Or is this when you were starting to take over? Are we going to go into Jerusalem? He says, guys, just hang out for another 10 days. Wait for the Holy Spirit. You're going to be my witnesses. I'll see you later. And that was it. Again, I'm paraphrasing. He didn't tell them all the things that he wanted them to do. He didn't explain every last detail. He just said, You're going to get the Holy Spirit, and you're going to work together, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You're going to be my witnesses. Not you, Simon, are going to be my witness. You are going to be my witnesses. All of us together. And the church is Jesus' way of doing that. Not extra, you know, what what we call from the 20th century parachurch ministries. They're good, they're nice, but The people in them have got to be a part of a church. Being a part of the church is how we are part of God's work and His ministry, how we work together. And if the church is important to Jesus, it should be important to us too. Being with other believers, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, should be an important thing. And and even though we can annoy one another, And we can drive one another crazy and sometimes we can convict one another in ways we don't like and so I'd rather walk away from you than experience the conviction you're giving me. If the church is important to Jesus and it should be important to us, then we need to think about how we treat the church. Some people talk about the church in an awful way. We'll say, oh, you know, full of hypocrites. Oh, it's so ugly, just a bunch of sinners. Oh, it's, you know, fill in the blank, whatever you've thought to say or whatever you've heard. When we do that, we're talking about the people that Jesus died on the cross for and who believed in him and accepted that death. We're talking about the people that he says, I am redeeming you and I am conforming you into my image. We're talking about the people who Jesus said, I'm going to return for you. That I have gone to prepare a place for you. And when it is ready, I'm going to return for you. When we talk bad, about other believers. And when we talk bad about the church, we're talking bad about the thing that Jesus loves most dearly on this earth, the people that are his, that he has called out for his purposes. So if the church is important to Jesus, I think it should be important to us. And I think we should be real careful, real careful what we say about other believers. People will ask me sometimes about some, you know, there are some pastors out there, and I could just say a physical description. You'd probably know who I was talking about. And people will ask me, well, what about this guy? What about that guy? And I, I, I had a guy recently was asking me about that, about a specific pastor and his message. And I said, you know, if Jesus doesn't like what he's doing, he can shut him up anytime he wants. He's not my problem. I don't think I agree with his message, but he might be doing what God wants him to do, and who am I to tell you, or to tell him to stop doing what God wants him to do? Maybe his purpose in life is to lead people astray. I know that sounds crazy, but maybe it is. That's not mine to say, I'm supposed to worry about what I'm doing. I get a little, you know, there are, there are a lot of other people who say things about God that I don't agree with things. Well, that doesn't mean I, I drag them through the mud. It doesn't mean I say, oh, they're not a true believer. No, what that should do for us is, well, I need to love this person. And then I need to think, how can I build up the body? Do the things I feel like saying, do they, do they help anybody, or are they just going to tear somebody down? Maybe, maybe I just leave them to God. The church is important to Jesus, and I, I, think, I think it is. And, and he's planning the church is supposed to be here when he comes back. Which means the church is not going to go anywhere. It may struggle and it may dwindle and it might, we might see some chaff fall away. But the grain of the church, the fruit of the church will not diminish. So if Jesus is doing that for the church, I want to encourage us, how do we view, how do we respond? How do we act? The church, the church that we gather together with, that we say this is where I'm going to be on a Sunday morning. But also, then, how do we act towards the church down the street, the church with the view than mine? What is our heart attitude towards them? And then, even, what about that church in another country that maybe is enemies with my country? We're enemies, and yet. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. What do we do about that church? What is our heart attitude towards that? Jesus loves his church. The church is important to Jesus. It should be important to us. And hopefully we will be in an attitude and a place where we love the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, uh, that you have given us this this family, this structure, uh, this wonderful miracle called the church that we gather together. And, and we, we come from different uh, areas, different backgrounds, different life experiences. But the thing that unites us is faith in Jesus Christ. The one who unites us is Jesus Christ and in Him we are equal. In Him there is neither free nor slave, Jew nor Greek, male nor female, but all are one in Christ. Lord, I pray that You would help us to have hearts that focus on Jesus and that love His church. We pray, Lord, that You would unite our bonds as a body together. That we would encourage one another and, and, and Commit to walking with one another. Lord, we pray as, as we consider being Your followers, Your disciples, that, that part of that is uniting with other believers. Assembling with them and worshiping with them and growing with them and, and letting them challenge us and challenging them right back. That we might come to the truth. We pray, Father, for those Believers in the world today who are without a place where they assemble together. Maybe they're going it on their own. Maybe they, they feel like they're getting enough just listening to this sermon and that one and listening to this music or that music. Lord, but we miss out on something when we're not together. We thank you for the technology we have that we can be together when we're not able to be. That we can still join in. But we pray, Lord, and we look forward to and long for the time when we will be present with one another. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen the churches in America to believe and to hold fast to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Our society and our culture is attacking it. Help us to stand firm, Lord, we pray. We ask these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.